Hey everyone, this is Chris Benton with The Chris and Sandy Show, where we get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I say on every episode, we've got a great show for you. we got comedian TJ, who's coming, who's on, as you see, and he's doing some great things in the comedian world, and we're excited to talk a little bit about his story and talk some comedy talk and just see where this goes. <laughs> so, TJ, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's definitely our pleasure. And you'll probably still, even though Sandy's not here, you'll, I'll probably always say we and our. I'm just so used to that. <laughs> hey, I'll just pretend there's a ghost right next to you over there. I'm there okay with Her spirit's right here, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, it's for entertainment, it's really tough right now of what's what's all going on. So how has COVID affected what you do and what have you done to kind of maneuver through this crazy maze? Uh, it's almost made it, I don't want to say non-existent, but it, it it's hurt it pretty badly because what we do is, you know, I don't, it's not essential in the sense of you need something essential. Like, you know, you need to yeah. go to the grocery store. You don't need to go to a comedy club. It's nice to be able to go, but you don't need it. So people not being able to gather, that that ruined everything for us. And uh, I remember I my last show last year, the last time I was on stage was March 14th, 2020. And then from March until I remember my first show back was July 7th. Oh, wow. So like a good four or five months. And somebody had a backyard and they were like, we're doing comedy if you want to come and do it. Because... By the time we're all respecting the rules and following, and then I think they, the CDC said some things are okay with the outdoors, and that yeah. made it better. So we got together, did some shows, and it, it just felt incredible to be able to go out there and do the thing we love again. And uh, so since then, that's sort of what we've been doing, doing a mix of outdoors <coughs> and uh now uh indoor dining is back in new york city so restaurants open at 25 percent capacities which means mm -hmm. some comedy club can open you know yeah. you have a comedy club that's normally 150 people and then it's 30 people and it's sold out so <laughs> that feels pretty good so that's what we're doing right now the zoom stuff is just stuff you gotta do but it's not yeah. ideal it's not the best way for yeah, it's comedy. Not the same. no not at all not even close so you life gives you lemons. You make you make outdoor lemonade and tell some jokes. <laughs> I love that. You know, that's like for us. You know, we started the show January third of twenty twenty, and when we did that, um, we didn't know what COVID was about to happen. A couple months before that, and right. I remember our, our original plan was to do maybe a hundred interviews our first year, and COVID happens. And I was like, okay, I told Sandy, I was like, you know, this could be our silver lining. You know, we're a brand new show. We're really just getting off the ground. A lot yeah. of people in entertainment are going to need a place to talk and we're going to give them that place. And that's because right. of that, we were able to do 300 interviews last year. Oh, that's amazing. So, so when, did, when, did, when did you have to stop doing what well, you were doing them live? I'm assuming in person. <laughs> no, they, they've you always been like this. Well, see, when we oh. first when we first started the show, it was audio only. Gotcha. And then, and we just started video. Um, I think it was October or November of last year. We finally made that transition to video. Um, but yeah, we it's 
it was audio only. So it was really easy, you know? And so again, you know, a lot of people there, there's, you know, the, everything is slowed down and yes. we benefited from that. And like I was, I kind of, it tells Sandy a lot of times, you know, you know what, if we're ever to size like, like a Kelly Clarkson show or a Bobby Bones show or even a Dr. Phil show on TV one day, you know, we, we could be, uh, we will kind of owe COVID for that because it built our foundation. Hell yeah. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't all have to be bad. Sometimes good things come out of it. Yep. Exactly. So tell us about January 3rd. And, let, and before you tell us about that, I want to say something. I know your birthday is January 3rd. So uh -huh. I thought it was really cool. Um, we, the reason we launched January 3rd of 2020 was my mom passed away six months after we married 18 years ago. Or not, not I guess, uh -huh. 19, 19 years ago now or, or 18 years ago. I'm and, sorry to hear that. Well, thanks. And her birthday was January 3rd. So that was oh, the reason no. we launched January 3rd to kind of honor her as with our first show. This is the coolest thing ever. That's that's amazing. Yes, I guess I'm, I share a birthday with your mom. R.I.P. to her. I'm sure she must have been great. Everybody born on January 3rd is a great person and they're very talented, if I do say so myself. Uh, yeah, so I recorded the show, I guess, the same day you started to do your show. I recorded the show January 3rd, 2020, on a Friday. That was my birthday. And uh, it was really fun. We had a blast. I was really happy with it. And then we shot, edited, did sound, did all the stuff, all the post-production thing you need to do. And then we, we got together with Comedy Dynamics. They wanted it. So and they pitched it to a couple of people. And then we ended up on Amazon Prime. And I was very happy with the product. I was just happy that COVID happened two months after I did that. So I got lucky. By just yeah. two months, where I'm at, because I, I wouldn't be able to shoot a special yeah. in March or April. So I was happy that I had something to put out there while the whole world was shut down. So I'm very grateful for that. I love that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, a lot of people would probably ask you, when did you know you wanted to do comedy? But I always like to go deeper than that. When did it actually click that that could be a career for you? Okay. Yeah, I, I I like the depth of that one. Yeah, that's that's much better. Well done. <laughs> uh, it clicked. So I I chose to do it. Uh, you know, there's the whole process that goes with. Oh, I like this thing enough. I want to learn how to do it. I want to practice it, and I want to get better at it. And I'm not worried about the money or all the other stuff. I just like this, and I want to get good yeah. at it. And then I remember about six or seven months in. A friend of mine who'd also been doing it and lived uh, in the Westchester area of New York City, like sort of upstate, but not really. Yeah. And he was putting a show together at some bar and he said, hey, man, I've seen I've seen you at the open mics and you put it good. So you want to come do my show up there? And I said, sure. Oh, wow. So he took me up there with them and I did eight minutes of jokes and then he paid me one hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. And that's when I thought, oh. <laughs> this is viable. This could be a career. I just oh, wow. told jokes for eight minutes and I got $150. That's almost 20 bucks <clears throat> per minute. <laughs> I'm like, if I can make 20 bucks per minute just telling jokes, there is something to be explored here. This is kind wow. of viable. It's gonna be hard, but I'm 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 I love it enough that I'm willing to go that path. I'll risk it. 
what's funny is I remember listening to Steve Harvey's story and where he talks about he just was a funny guy. And yeah. he went to his first comedy club and didn't he didn't even know that that existed at the time. And he got invited there and ended up on stage and made 50, 50 bucks. And he quit his job the next day. There you go. There you go. Once you get a taste and you realize people get like the concept of a comedian to me, because I grew up in Haiti, born and raised in Haiti. I moved here in 2008. The idea that you could be a comedian and make money was so foreign and novel to me. You know, like you don't we don't even have stand up comedy in Haiti. We have comedy in form of theater and like slapstick stuff. We have plays, but we don't do stand up. Just a guy on a microphone. So when I came here and I discovered that, that blew my mind that that's a way you could make a life and a living. So it was beautiful to me. So to go from, I like this thing and then doing it and then getting on stage and getting money for it, it was just like, it felt like I beat the system. Like, oh, I don't have to do a nine to five. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. As you know, a lot of people, they look at like comedians like a Jamie Foxx, a Steve Harvey and all of them. They see the glory, but they don't see the grind, the sacrifice, the struggles, the tears that it takes, not just to get to their level, but even a career level with comedy. Yes. And I always want to talk about the struggle side, the sacrifice side, because nobody really talks about this. But on our show, I want to always make sure that we hit that because I want people to understand the other side of the coin. And I'm going to tell a quick story on, on where I want this to go. And I think you'll be able to relate to this. Now, this has mm -hmm. to do with music, but I think that it, it lines it's right up with- a very similar lifestyle. The grind exactly, and those things exact are similar. Same thing. yeah. But we interviewed a girl named Allison Steele back in 2014 um, with two Steele girls. And- one of the questions I asked her was what advice she would give an up and coming artist. I'll never forget her answer. She says, if you can see yourself doing something else, go do that and just keep this as a hobby. She goes, because the moment you want it to be a career, everything changes. Everybody kind of owns a piece of you from that point forward. Your friends and relatives never understand me to invite you to weddings, to cookouts, to weekends, to get holidays. But when you're in that grind mode, you have to say no to so much. You have to sacrifice so much. Your family has to give you up to the world. They have to share you with the world. So they have to sacrifice. But then she added, but if you can't see yourself doing anything else, if this is truly your passion, go all in. Because the only way that those kind of sacrifices could ever be worth it. What do you think what she said? Let's talk about that side of it. I kind of think it fits with comedy, too. Yes, uh, I 100% agree with what she said. I think it's wise advice. Um, so the first aspect is if you can see yourself do something else, keep it as a hobby. I agree because it's it's not something you should do. And whether it's music or comedy, anything that has to do with the arts where you are going to be out there trying to learn something that's so unconventional, but not only learn it, but to get better at it and excel at it and dedicate all the years where you're looking at your friends that have nine to fives, they get they get the house, they get the wife, and they get the kids. <laughs> you can't be looking at that because this is not your path. The moment you chose to go that route, there's sacrifices that are gonna be made. I remember like my social life suffered immensely in a way I didn't think it was gonna suffer because mm -hmm. I was out literally every night in my first two years in New York City doing open wow. mics and trying to get on shows. And sometimes you got three, four shows a night. Mm -hmm. 
And my friends would call me be like, hey, we're all meeting at this bar to go and hang out. And I was like, oh, I I got to do comedy. Mm-hmm. To a point where like it almost felt like, oh, am I alienating my friends or am I just doing what I'm supposed to do? It became a tricky thing to decide yeah. which is more important. But because you love it and because you understand the only way to get good at it is by working hard at it and making those sacrifices early on. I don't recommend living like that way for all of it, but early on, just to get your footing, to grind and get good, you have to do those things. I love that. And, you know, even with our show, you know, we want to be one day the Kelly Clarkson's, the the Bobby Bones and all that at the top. Our goal is to be a TV show one day. Nice. And so we have to grind that out. We, you know, so we're kind of chasing that same dream that y'all are chasing. It's a different platform. Yeah. You know? And we just ha- and we have to outwork everybody because again, I don't know too many people that can say they did three hundred interviews their first year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Congratulations. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And it's just like with y'all, you know, you have to do this and do this and do this and do this and, until it gets to the point to where it's like clockwork, where you can do it blindfolded. Yeah, yeah. You become undeniable. You become good at your craft, where people have to accept that, oh, this is a person that I should pay attention to because they're good at what they do. And I cannot deny them an opportunity because I recognize what they're doing. Yeah, but I have to learn to read people sometimes. You know, there's sometimes where, you know, and they can do it better now with video because but audio is different to where you ask a question and you can kind of tell that they didn't really want to go in that direction. So once they answer, I know to change direct. There's been a few times I've, I've kind of done that and I'm like, you know, but you learn all that as you grow, you know, in, in our craft. Cause again, what we yeah. do is a craft too. And, and that's, I really, and that's one of the reasons we really love having this show is because we get to interview people like you who are chasing this crazy dream like we are. So it's like a common thing that we have to do. Yeah, it's common in even more ways than you'd realize. You just said about asking people certain questions and sort of wondering whether they want to go there or not based on the way they're answering, the sound of their voice, maybe their faces. It's like you studying people. It's sociology. Like it's, it's, we do the same thing when you go on stage as a comedian ah, and you start true. talking to a crowd and you're like, okay, what's the vibe here? What are <laughs> they okay with? Where do they want to go and how far can I push them? Oh, wow. Now, have you ever gotten on stage and it just didn't go your way? Oh, yeah. It's happened. So that's that's a part of the process. Yes. <laughs> oh, my. You cannot avoid those. And those are the nights where you learn the most about uh, who you are as a comedian. You learn, mm-hmm. how do I handle a situation like this? Do I lose my... Can I curse? <laughs> it's a family show, but, you know... Okay. Do I, do I lose it? I'm going to say lose it. I was going to say, do I lose my... Do I lose it? <laughs> Little <laughs> or, words, I don't mind. Yeah. Do I lose it or do I plow through and get through this dark, like tough patch in the show? Yeah. Or do I shut down completely and get off stage because it didn't go my wow. way? So you have all these options in front of you, and that moment teaches you which is the better way to respond to that situation. Yeah. And also you learn you learn about the 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 value of a joke. Like True. what about that joke made it difficult to get through to that crowd? 
what do I need to change in it? Because it didn't go my way that night. But somehow at the 8 p.m. it worked. And then at the 10 p.m. it didn't work. So is there a difference in the way I delivered it? Is there a difference in the crowd's perceptions of it? There's a whole lot of mental game going on. And I really, I'm fascinated by that aspect of it. So it surprises you like when when you're like, I know I told a joke right, but it don't go well. And you're and you and you probably read the joke over and over to yourself that night thinking, well, why yeah. did it not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never thought of that, but that's that, that I can I can see that as a comedian, you know, not everything is going to go over well. It's like even with our shows, you know, sometimes it don't go as planned. Um, but it's a little different because, uh, you know, we're one on one. You've got a crowd. Yes. So, yes. so, so if that crowd is not happy, you're getting all you got. You know, you're going to be booed off the stage. Yeah, it's the most exciting and also the most terrifying part of what I do, which is this is live. This is not a, a TV show where if it doesn't go well, the director could go cut. Let's do it again. <laughs> There's no let's do it again. If I tell a joke, it bums. I can't be like, oh, you guys weren't paying attention. Let me retell this joke real quick. Not work is, that way. It's live. It, it lives or it dies. And it's exciting and it, it keeps you on your toes. And it's a beautiful thing. When it works, uh, it's worth every single moment. Now, have you ever had this incident? I remember in Steve Harvey's story mm -hmm. um, that he, when he got his first shot at the Apollo, um, he had three people going, including Jamie Foxx was one of them. And all three people got booed off the stage before him. I mean, we're talking Jamie Foxx got booed off yeah. the stage. You know, yeah, but you know, of course, like he said, all of them were unknown at this point. It was in '91, and so he, he had all three of these people get booed off who were really good, and then he had to go up. You ever had a situation like that to where people before you get booed off, and you're like, "Oh God, what?" Well, you know, <laughs> I've I've had those moments where you walk in a room and you can feel that there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. Like the vibe of the room, something happened where everybody's just not feeling it. They're not there for the comedy. And then you watch the other comedians because the other comedians are good gauges of what's going to happen. So you gotta, you're kind of paying attention to see, oh, they're telling jokes about this and it's working. Or they're telling jokes about that and it's not working. So you, you pay attention to them, see what they do. And sometimes whatever they do doesn't work. So you still don't have an answer for what you're going to do when you go up there. <laughs> and sometimes in those moments, you have to go and be like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to go and have a good time despite people. And sometimes that. that's the best attitude to have. Sometimes and that's kind of what works. It. Yeah, yeah. Because they can feel that you're, you're willing to do it without them. Yeah, because I think sometimes a comedian can be so much where they want the crowd's attention so much that they lose track of their authenticness. That's right. And all of a sudden you go out there and say, you know what? I You get this. That's and then right. now they love it. Yeah, it's, it's that perfect like pinch of I care, but I don't care. And when you yeah, don't exactly. care about their validation, they respect you more. Oh, I love that. So we talked about a little bit about the sacrifice and struggle side. What are a few moments where you can look back on your career so far and you're, and you're wild at what, what you've gotten to do? Uh, four years ago, I was doing this comedy festival in, uh, in, in Boston. It's called the Boston Comedy Festival. And 
it's a it's a competition type of festival and i made it to the finals and the finals happen in this theater in boston in somerville in uh, massachusetts and it was this old very historical building and it's 900 people it's the at that point in my life is the biggest crowd i'd ever performed for and it was sold out and you could feel all the excitement just it was a raised stage it was a big theater it felt like a historic venue and i went up there and like you know i'm 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 in my head cuz i'm got to go and tell jokes but i wanted to take a moment to be like this is the coolest thing ever like i started doing this 5 wow. years ago and here i am in front of 900 strangers in a big theater that's 100 years old and i'm telling jokes and i think this is the coolest thing ever Wow. I love that. Now, as you know, a lot of people, they see you as the comedian or actors or artists. But they don't see the people behind them, the team, the PR people, the producers and all that. And I always say that they don't get enough love they deserve. Um, oh, they so deserve all the love because we're, so we're masters. If you want to take a few moments just to tell us about the team that helps you be who you are. Oh, man. Uh, well, the team is... It's... I don't even think important is the word. The team is indispensable because when you're on stage, comedy looks like a, it looks like boxing. It's an individual sport. But really, when a boxer to gets a break, goes in the corner, you see there's at least three guys taking care of him, talking to him. That's sort of what, what comedy is. <laughs> when you're off stage, you need people around you that uh, support what you do. You don't need a bunch of people. You just need enough people yeah. that matter to you so it makes a difference. The people that believe in you. The people that will be honest with you. Because you don't want a bunch of yes men and yes women around. You want people to be like, actually, I don't think what you're doing is right. You need to stop doing this. Yeah. And that's very important because a lot of people don't want to deal with that. And you end up self-destructing because whatever you feel like doing, you do it. And when we're in entertainment, there's, you get exposed to a lot of, it's, it's kind of a crazy lifestyle. You're yeah. around alcohol all the time, sometimes drugs, and you have to have the center to say to yourself, oh, I don't need to do that right now. I just want to yeah. enjoy the entertainment aspect of it. And part of that is having the friends and the people next to you that tell you, this is not going to end well. So just enjoy the ride. You don't need to partake in that part of it. Yeah, because the bigger you get, the harder it is to say no. So you, that's when I think the team is even more important, because like you said, you know, your team can say, hey, you know, focus on the vision, focus on where you're that's going. Right. That's if you right. can keep that memory of where you're going, then it makes sometimes it a little easier. But the, but when it's all around you, sometimes it's hard. That's right. 100%. Yeah. <clears throat> and speaking of teams, we have a third co-host, which we ain't met my second co-host, but we got a third co-host, our little nine-year-old, which uh -huh. uh, Sandy's supposed to be listening, so hopefully she sends him in here now. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he loves this part. And we got All right, Sandy, send him over. I hear him coming, so. <laughs> but he loves us, you know, because we are a family affair show, and you know, I've been involving the family. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hi, TJ. So, what's your favorite food? My favorite food. Okay, I'll give you my favorite American food. I 
Uh, I like pizza. I know that's kind of basic. Where are you guys from? Where do you guys live? We live in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah. You guys got good pizza there? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, you need to come to New York to get real <laughs> good pizza. Real pizza. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like, I love the pizza in New York. It's easily one of my favorite foods. And then I have a couple of local dishes because I'm Haitian. In Haiti, we cook a lot with spicy food and there's a lot of green foods and like goat. I love goat. It's my favorite kind of meat. So yeah, we'll go with pizza because that you would get. And what's yours? Pizza. <laughs> Except for I'm now, proud. it's Little Caesars pizza's his favorite, but I'm sure we go to New York, that'll change. Oh, yeah. Come to New York. You'll get some real handmade, grilled, oven-baked pizza. It's awesome. Mm. You get another question. Yeah, so what's a real TV show? My favorite TV show? Oh, man. There's a lot of TV shows that I liked, uh, but... Over quarantine, I just rewatched uh Avatar The Last Airbender. Hey, oh. hey, that's your user count. Come on, Nick, August 7th. I mean August 16th. <laughs> yes, yes, it's on Nickelodeon. It's a great show. It's a very it's it's a child show, but it's also a very mature show. I think you would really enjoy it. Have you seen it? Uh, uh I have seen it on Nick and Nick Tunes. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, you should watch it again because it still holds up and it's still fun. And it's still funny and it's very educational for children. And what's your favorite show? SpongeBob. SpongeBob SquarePants, baby. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's been cool about this show is we've had, you know, he watches a lot of Nickelodeon. So we've been able to bring five or six people from Nickelodeon onto our show. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, you didn't <laughs> tell me your name. What's your name, buddy? Christopher. Christopher. Just like your dad? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well done. Well done. Yep, he's a Chris Jr. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Bye, well, good to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> yeah, he loves that. Like I said, you know, we got a 23-month-old, which she'll be two years old, the 27th of this month. So she's almost two. And we'll be plugging her in the show when she can talk. All right. When, when is she going to be ready to ask her own questions? Maybe two <laughs> more years? <laughs> she, man, but at the rate that she's trying to talk, it'll probably be a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. This is cool, man. So what drives you to keep this thing going? Mm, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm motivated by... Like, obviously, I'm a person in show business, so I, I'm looking to the the success. I want the accolades. I want the money and the fame. But on a very basic level, what I really like is the way comedy makes people feel. Just yeah. the very simple pleasure of it. Because I've had a couple shows where after the show's over, you have people come up to you and they say such kind things. Like I remember before quarantine, maybe like two years ago, I did a show somewhere in New Jersey and this lady came up to me. I was like, she said, uh, listen, I want to thank you. Uh, my husband died two months ago and I haven't been able to leave the house and laugh with people. And you did that for me tonight. Wow. 
And that to me is worth all the awards and whatever you could get because for one simple night, I was able to bring some joy to someone who was suffering. And to yeah. me, that's, that's the main driver. Like no, nobody does comedy. Like we're trying to bring joy. It's the greatest thing in the world. Like even if it doesn't work, the attempt was to bring joy to people. And that's, that's just beautiful to me. I definitely love that. And, you know, sometimes comedy can be that thing where for the comedian, a lot of times it's a healing thing, too. Yes, it's very therapeutic. Sometimes you've got stuff going on in your life and you want to deal with it and you find a joke in it and you go on stage and you tell the joke and you realize, oh, I'm not alone in thinking or feeling this way because now that those people will feel that way, it makes me feel better. I feel less alone. I feel kind of validated. And we all together have a moment of healing. It's great. Now, if there was a show in, with a couple other comedians um, with you involved, who would you want to be part of that show? Oh, man. Dead or, dead or alive comedians. Who would be your ideal comedian to do a show with? George Carlin, Richard Pryor, wow. and Dave Chappelle. Great choices. Yeah. <laughs> Love. I, I, growing up, I, I watched a lot of Richard Pryor. He, uh, can't, I mean, can't, can't be a family show, for sure, with him. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but, not at all. But very what he says is like, wow, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Richard is the he's the undisputed king of what we do. Almost all of us on some level, we're doing this because he paved the way and inspired everybody. Love that. He's the greatest. <clears throat> so what's next for you? Uh, I I just finished shooting a little project, uh, and hopefully we edit it and then we sell it so we can put that out. But right now, with you know the clubs sort of reopening, I'm focused on building a new act because you know i put out the special so that material i can't really use it anymore so now yeah. i'm building a new hour of material and hopefully by the summer if everybody's vaccinated if we feel good and it feels safe we can go back out and do comedy again and i just want to have an hour of material and go out there and entertain people and hopefully at the end of this year or maybe next year i can record another one I love that. You yeah. know, this month made the six-year anniversary that we asked Kelsey Ballerini where she wanted to be in five years. And I always like to tell this story before I ask the guests that same question, because what she told us six years ago, um, she accomplished in those five years. I mean, it's amazing to watch where she was a, basically an unknown six years ago. And then five years later, everybody in the country music scene pretty much knew who she was. That's amazing. Um, so, Knowing that, where do you want to be in five years? Five years from now, I want to be starting the process to shoot the second season of my TV show. Oh, wow. Something that I've been working on. And uh, I want to be on my world tour. I want to do stand-up in a bunch of different countries. Oh, cool. Yeah. So let's look 15 years down the road, Dan. Let's say that you're a success on a grand scale. Whatever that looks like for you, you're there. If mm -hmm. the person you are today could meet your future successful self, what would you want to remind him? 
I would remind them to never stop loving comedy. Remember, that's what gets you wherever you're going to be. It's because you love this and don't forget it. Don't forget that you love to make people laugh. At the very core of it, that's what you love. So that's my reminder. So as we come to a close here, let's say you had a friend of yours and they were on, they've been on stage and her, and you know, they are funny. They've got it going on and they've maybe been on stage maybe 20, 30 times. So they're still getting their feet wet on that side of it, but they, they're just something there, but they just know they've gotten on stage. They get the laughs. They know that they're in the right place and they come to you and they say, TJ, I know I'm supposed to do this. What advice would you give that specific person to kind of help guide them the next couple of years? Mm. That's a tough one. So I know they got it and I believe yeah. in them. Yeah. You, you, know, you believe in them. You've heard them and you know they got something special. They just need to hone it, but they got something special. I would tell them to <clears throat> go 100% but don't go with any expectation of what should or what will happen. Just go 100% at it to get better and to focus on loving it. Wow. I love that. Yeah. That's don't, really great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Because once like you fall out of love with the thing that you do, then the joy is not there anymore. So now you're just yeah. doing a job for money. And you got to allow it to pivot some. Um, I think this is where people can get stuck. They they want to do their passion in one way. And that way may not be the right way for their personality or whatever. And because and, I like when we launched this show, um, it was a country music up and coming country music artist interview show. That's how we started. That was our roots that, you know, we had a lot of contacts in Nashville. So that was where we started. Then it became a music interview show where all genres, then next thing we know, uh, it became an entertainment interview show where we brought on actors and people and authors and athletes on and, and see now it's pretty much just everything entertainment. And as, so we've allowed, although we had this ideal where we wanted the show to be at the beginning, we've learned to pivot when we felt like we needed to pivot because, you know, because we just love interviewing great people. That's, That's right. You were doing that. You were down. I would have to be a country singer to be on this show. I'm just glad <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So as we come to close here, tell everybody how they can find you. Uh, you can find me at TJ Stand Up on uh, Instagram and Twitter. That's the, the social media platforms I use the most at TJ Stand Up. And from there, you can find links to all of my work. You know, we really enjoyed having you on today and we look forward to having you back down the road. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It was a fun time. Same here. All right. All right. The recording is off.